Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Grab your bowls and fire them up. It's the party of the year, IPSD. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining IPSD, International Pipe Smoking Day 2019 special edition, coming to you a day early so that you can uh, get this downloaded and ready to celebrate. Kind of sounds weird to say celebrate, but hey, listen, uh, you know, if if you've got pipe smoking friends, Grab a bowl with them this week. If you don't, I hope that we'll uh, we'll be your party for you uh, and celebrate International Pipe Smoking Day. And uh, I'm actually doing it internationally right now. I'm on my cruise, and uh, we are at a uh, Caribbean island, so I'm internationally pipe smoking on International Pipe Smoking Day because you know, every day I pipe smoke. So anyway, I'm out to sea. Uh, this show is way pre-recorded, but it is a big jam-packed uh, bonus episode with uh, my guest, Jeremy Reeves, and we recorded this a couple weeks back. We get into some real tobacco geeky stuff, uh, may even talk a little bit about uh, pairings of tobacco with uh, food, and uh, may broach the holy subject of barbecue. Uh, you never know. Anyway, I do hope that you get a chance to uh, sit back with your pipe on uh, International Pipe Smoking Day or at least gather with some friends. I do know that there's a uh, group in Australia gathering on uh, this upcoming weekend. And, uh, you know, it's going to be, uh, from what I understand, it's the biggest group of pipe smokers to gather in uh, in Melbourne at one time in a long time. So hope they have fun down under where the weather's warm. <laughs> I'm having warm weather, too, in the Caribbean and probably enjoying the heck out of it because I don't like winter. All right, let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like a good book or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. We are back on the International Pipe Smoking Day 2019 special edition of the Pipes Magazine radio show and skipping right through pipe parts because joining us is uh, somebody who is right on the pulse of what's going on in tobacco, somebody who has his head buried in tobacco all day long. In fact, he's the head blender, which I think is just the best title ever. I uh, Someday when I grow up, I really want to be a head blender. Uh, but he's the head blender and uh, master chef of Cornell & Deal, Jeremy Reeves. Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Oh, thank you very much, Brian. I uh, I want to point out that you always make me feel a little bit like my head has been blended after we st- after we speak. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. So you're the you're the head blender. I'm the head screwer. <laughs> That's right. Yes. And and in your case, I might have screwed all your hair loose. 
Possibly, yeah. It, it, it comes and goes. Yeah. So, <laughs> Jeremy, the last time you were on with on the show was uh, August of 2015, so four and a half years ago. Um, you you want to tell us what's been going on since then? Anything? Woo. Um, well... <laughs> Yeah, there's been there's been all sorts of things going on. Uh, you know, C and D I think has uh, has really grown a lot um, since then, both as a as a uh, a company and just kind of growing into itself. Uh, also, uh, we've certainly grown on the on the industry as a whole. I think um, so. I'm really happy to see. Uh, all of that, I'm happy. I'm happy to see the way that uh, we've we've been able to grow to a point where we could provide uh, a few more positions for for people. I'm always happy when when there are more more jobs available um, in in this area. So it's been cool to kind of expand our staff a little bit. Um, You've moved to and, your own building too. Yeah, yeah, we've moved into our own building and uh, have have a bit more breathing room, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's really amazing the the difference that having just a little more space uh, can make in terms of what is really possible, um, even without the addition of equipment. Just just the room to store extra things and the room to maneuver uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it really it really makes a difference in the in overall productivity so all so, right yeah, all that stuff's been going on and uh and and of course you know we've all been enjoying the fruits of your labor but let, let's get into some really geeky pipe weenie tobacco nerdy stuff are you ready <laughs> okay i think so uh, last time you were on, we talked about the different types of, uh, you know, the different component tobaccos that you have in your, you know, the, that you use to blend with and the, and that, uh, can you, are you willing to talk to us about how much time and where you are and where you are sourcing your tobaccos from? Sure. Um, well, we we source uh, we source our leaf um, through through tobacco dealers and and pretty much pretty much everybody to one degree or another uh, has has different dealers for different types of leaf uh, and and for the most part um, there are a wide and and broad and very varied spectrum of of tobaccos of any, of any given type that are available um, and so what what C and D does I can't speak to what anybody else does but what C and D does yeah we don't uh, care about anybody of, else right now right <laughs> uh, is is basically we find uh, whatever whatever component that uh, that we're trying to source replacement for, uh, we find the one that most closely uh, that most closely resembles or matches um, what we've been previously using, 
and offers any any benefit characteristics that maybe maybe you know we come across something that's like wow this is really really close but there is this one thing that is really uh, you know smoother or it it has this particular it has this particular character to it that that sort of sets this apart um, it's subtle uh, I'm basically looking for something that is sort of a balance between exactly what we were using before and any possible improvements that can be made there without totally changing the overall character of our blends. Uh, but something that over, over, you know, a, a, if you did a tasting panel of, let's say we're talking about white burley, if you did a, pa a tasting panel of haunted bookshop across, uh, you know, five or five or six different, uh, leaf uh, selections that you might find that you might find some leaf characteristics that were different between those but they were all they were all good um, just just unique in character in some way so yeah if that I, I realize yeah. I'm, I'm speaking in kind of subtle tones but it's sort of a subtle thing to sit down with you know 10 or 15 different samples of tobacco constantly going between one clay pipe and another <laughs> and then you know walk, walking away and trying to clear your head and and you know drink some water and and kind of think back through what what your initial impressions were of of this or that leaf selection compared to what you're currently using so basically i go through this kind of a process and then when i find the one that i really want we speak up for as much of it as we possibly can and try and try and get i try and get between a a 3 and 4 year supply of that particular leaf reserved um, with with sort of a, a vision for a future of us making more and more tobacco each year. Yeah, so you're, you're, so when I you're... And, I try and see into the future and, and, and <laughs> estimate what I hope we're making, uh, you know, four years out and try and get enough leaf up front to be able to last us that time. Um, and then we'll go through that process again when when that starts to get low so that that's a perfect example because haunted bookshop has been on the market for what 20 25 years somewhere around there mm -hmm. uh and you've got to consistently take you, you've got to keep that blend as absolutely consistent as possible to what it was 25 years ago when it first came out but you've got to deal with the current yeah, you've got to you've got to deal with currently available resources to make right. sure that's available, and so you're always you know looking backwards at it, and and then the worst part is is that when you if you buy three four years worth of tobacco, uh, that tobacco's been sitting and aging, and it's going to slightly change down the road of the three or four years by itself so now you've got to kind of tweak the blend a little bit to make sure that within the four years of what you bought it stays consistent that's true although storing storing leaf uh in open air um and uh well i say open air in in the large boxes 
uh, still definitely not an air an airtight container like what we would age tobacco in a tin or a jar. The the changes that happen with with leaf sitting for three or four years dry are not nearly as dramatic as as the changes that you find in say one year of aging that same tobacco with a little bit of moisture in it in in say a tin. Yeah. So, so it's not it's not quite that much work, but still, it's something that you that you are aware of. Yes, it is, it is something that we do have to look at. It is something that uh, you know, as as we manufacture products, I'm always I'm always going out to packaging and and taking a look at what we're taking a look at what we're producing and and smelling it and uh, you know taking samples and coming coming back to my desk and smoking and going back and, and referencing older tens of of that same product um, <laughs> and sniffing so. smelling touching smoking and feeling until your tongue and you, <laughs> until your tongue and your head are spinning sometimes yes uh, really the the times where I feel that the most though are are like we were talking about before in sourcing leaf um, that can that can really yeah. be a, a it's fun but it it's also not fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it can be a it can be a challenge uh, particularly when you're talking about something like uh, sourcing uh, bright leaf um, yeah, bright, bright flu cured. That is, that is a day of. <laughs> I don't, I don't care what your cadence is. I don't care how, how you know, lightly or slightly you sip, and what, what an experienced Virginia smoker you are. You're gonna walk away from, from that day with a severe case of tongue bite. There's just no way around it. You almost want an asbestos glove for your tongue. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, but you know, it's really cool. It's really fun. Um, it's, it's fun to be able to sit down with, uh, to be able to sit down with a, a panel of, of tobaccos and kind of, you know, look at, look at color and chemistries and decide, you know, best guess where, where you should start and where you should end. And then, you know, kind of, kind of step your way through that with, clay pipes and uh you know notebooks and then going back to it i always try and include uh i always try and include a couple of others um after after i've gotten kind of my initial thoughts and and have somebody else whose tongue might not be quite so fried as mine has just gotten <laughs> to uh you know to all right try this and try this tell me what you tell me what you're gathering from it tell me what it how it how it strikes you and and then I compare what what they say to you know my own my own notes and thoughts on the matter and um yeah usually usually it takes it takes some time it takes a few of those times and I've got a couple of different people here at the company that uh not only in Cornell and Deal proper but uh at Ludisi and at large that uh that I'll often run things by and and ask to taste things and and yeah so and some and sometimes do they see you coming and run the other way <laughs> probably so <laughs> um if if they do it's it's uh they've been really good at it 
they've been really good at hiding because uh, I've never actually seen anyone break into break into a sprint. Um, I've definitely seen uh, I've definitely seen a couple of people's uh, complexions darken though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're we're gonna take our first break right here. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, International Pipe Smoking Day 2019, special edition with Jeremy Reeves, who's got uh, tattoos, piercings, and no hair on his head anymore, from probably from taste testing. Uh, do you do the same thing when you're, when you're uh, getting in new shipments of Perique? Do you smoke it straight to figure out what it's going to do? Um, you know, actually, I have been, uh, for the last couple of years, I've actually been going out uh, to Poche Farms and picking the barrels that C&D uses for the year myself. <laughs> That's a good excuse to get down to Louisiana. It is. It is. <laughs> um, I like it. I'll go, I do too. I, you need an assistant. I'm available. Just tell me when. Okay. <laughs> noted duly noted yeah i won't even um, smoke that much i'll i'll bring my own tobacco with me i'll just be there for the food and and all the other stuff around that area <laughs> sure well you know where i don't know if you've been to uh to poche farms but it's actually kind of kind of out away from <laughs> yeah from <laughs> so it's definitely oh i think an hour hour and a half drive from new orleans I'll stay um, in New Orleans and watch the hotel room for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Let, Very good. Let, let me talk to you about uh, you know when you're when you're working on you when you're working on recreating a blend or reintroducing mm -hmm. a blend. Uh, you know, all right. You've got you've got the process of finding finding the right leaf for it to so that mm -hmm. it continuously tastes like it did before. Uh, how do you determine what the moisture level should be in that? Well, there are there are a few different ways that that uh, tobacco moisture can can be measured and and sort of uh, controlled, um, but most of them, um, particularly in in tobacco industry now most people are actually using big industrial dryers um <laughs> and uh those require far typically far more poundage than c 
and d is producing of any one thing at any given time to run properly and to calibrate correctly um, so what what we do is much more uh much more old school um and you know the the blending by hand that's something that that's something that uh you know we we're doing something that pretty much pretty much has been done by machine uh for a long time by most most producers um and the same sort of thing drying down we we are relying on uh a couple of different a couple of different methods to dry things down properly and uh pretty much when when it starts to feel crispy around the edges um of of whatever we've we've laid out to air dry or if we're using if we're using fans um we will pile the tobacco back back up into a pile and then redistribute it uh on on the table that we're drying on um and we squeeze it more than anything else we squeeze it to see uh if it stays in a ball or if it starts to starts to kind of expand back out um and and that's the biggest thing if it if you have tobacco that will just stay squeezed into a ball uh it's too wet and if you have tobacco that you squeeze it really hard and you let it go and it just falls right apart it's it's too dry um, but finding that sweet spot is something that is is really important uh, to us, and it's been something that we've actually found uh, takes takes some time to learn. Um, when when training blenders, that's that's probably the thing more than anything else that uh, really takes some time to to learn and and some willingness to ask others' opinion until you kind of get your hands sort of calibrated, I guess. So it's all kind of muscle memory and uh, and and sense and of and and feel. Um, what are the effects of a of moisture? If it if a blend is too moist, what does it do to it? If a blend is too dry, what does it do to it? If a blend is too wet, uh, you know, I mean, it, and of course, there's there's a gradient there, right? And we could be talking about too wet, like it's absolutely sopping wet, or we could be talking about it's too wet, like if you laid it out for ten minutes, it'd it'd be perfect. But um, the more moisture there is in in the tobacco, um, there are a couple of things. One is it's going to burn more slowly, um, or if it's way out on that gradient, if it's if it's way too wet, obviously you're going to have a hard time even keeping it lit. Yeah. Um, but uh, as it as it burns more slowly, um, a lot of that moisture is just condensing in the bottom of of the pipe in the bottom of the bowl, um, which obviously you know leads to things like you know slurping and and gurgling sounds in your pipe and uh, you know not being able to to smoke the last little bit. Um, Shots of so, wonderful tobacco juice coming up the stem at you that just tastes great. That, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, but if tobacco is too dry, um, 
I actually, I would actually prefer to smoke a tobacco that was a touch too wet over tobacco that was too dry. That's just me personally. Um, but I actually find that, uh, you know, people talk about drying their tobacco out to a crisp. Um, that always that always brings out lots of sharp tones um, in in the tobacco to me, and and brings out um, the the hotter sort of characteristics, particularly of Virginias. Um, I find just a touch of moisture is actually a really good a really good way to keep your pipe burning at a slow simmering smolder, um, and and uh, to actually help you appreciate all the flavors that are there, whereas tobacco that has no moisture in it at all is going to go up like kindling, and in <laughs> fact, you'll find that you're having you're even having to relight more often uh, because it burns so quickly that it doesn't even have time to catch the pieces next to it in the bowl. So now, when you're working when you're working with a blend that you know that that you're that either you're recreating or consistently producing. You're also testing the blend for what the moisture level should be at the time of packaging so that it smokes mm-hmm. the way you the the way Cornell and Deal intends it to be tasted, right? That's correct. That's correct. Um we have we have a couple of different uh hand tools that we do use to to get uh rough moisture readings. Um but Basically, myself and uh, two of the other blenders that are here um, are we are when we make something, uh, we'll determine it at the time that the tobacco is blended. Um, after we've added all of the prescribed moisture and, and things to it, um, then we'll we'll decide uh, whether or not it's. It's something that needs to be laid out to dry. More often than not, it actually is something that needs to be laid out to to dry. Um, we'd like to handle tobacco with a little more moisture in it than we necessarily would want it packaged with, yeah. because it prevents it prevents the tobacco from breaking up and degrading while you're using it, while you're handling it. Um, yeah, there, so there's a whole other. I mean, that that's a whole other part of the process that. Yeah, that you have to be aware of because you you do have to keep the moisture level up so that as it's moving from point to point, it doesn't break, it doesn't turn, to, it doesn't get dusty and start falling apart on you. Uh, That's right. So, so now you've got the blend created and you're getting ready to move it, and it's a little bit wetter than what you want. So then you got to dry it down again. Right. So we'll lay it out. We'll lay it out on a on a flat surface. We have some. Some tables set up. Um, actually, a big portion of our floor space is just drying area. Um, <laughs> There's all so these we'll... sun tanning beds that they bought that are used, and they just put the tobacco <laughs> on there and turn the tanning machines on. And that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so we use we use fans and uh, and just lay the tobacco out to to dry. Uh, or if it's or if it's right on the verge of of being right right in that sweet spot then maybe we won't use fans we'll just leave it to uh to air dry for a period of time um before we bucket it up and take it to the uh take it to the packaging area where uh it'll go into tens or into bulk 
<laughs> so it's a lot of hands-on, a lot of uh, institutional knowledge, um, and it's quite possible that you know that every, that some of the tobacco that we're smoking has been in your hands personally. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. There's. I mean, there's no. There's no computer that's gonna you know beep at you and say, oh, it's time to do this, or or you know this this is ready or whatever. We we really are are handling everything that that uh we produce we're we're involved in in the process in a visual way and then in an olfactory way and in in a feeling way uh every step of the way (laughs) Um, the machines that we do use are, are machines that have to be operated by by a person and they they are smaller machines that have to have to be uh not only operated by a person but you know the tobacco coming through has to be manipulated by a person and so um so yeah there's really no time where we're not actively engaging the product that we're making we're going to take another break right here. When we come back, we're going to talk about deer tongue and uh, flakes and more with Jeremy Reeves. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, It's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, We've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco. Blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellandDeal.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Jeremy Reeves of Cornell and Deal Fine Tobaccos. And uh, Jeremy, let's let's look. We're going to go real specific for a minute here because this one came up about, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago. And then one of our regular listeners uh, pointed out to me that Cornell and Deal Crooner has deer tongue listed as the in the ingredients. Mm-hmm. I've yet to smoke it because I'm going to do a review of it for the for the show. But uh, I'm interested. First of all, I, I I know deer tongue was gone from the U.S. for a while, and now it's back. I guess because obviously you wouldn't do anything illegal. Um, but tell tell me about deer tongue. What does it taste like, and what does it do to the blend? Well, deer tongue is really fascinating. Um, it is kind of a uh, it kind of is tea-like. Uh, the the aroma is sort of a marriage of uh, really creamy vanilla notes and cinnamon. Um, but uh, 
Deer Tongue has uh, a lot of uh, coumarin in it, and, and coumarin is a, uh, a flavor tannin that's found in uh, cinnamon and nutmeg, uh, several several spices and, and herbs that have it, and uh, it's it's creamy and vanilla-y and kind of spicy and a little grassy. Uh, sometimes it reminds me of matcha, which is a very, very finely ground uh, Japanese green tea. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think matcha is probably a good, a good point of reference for those of you who are, who are into tea. Um, for the rest of us, I understood cinnamon, nutmeg, and vanilla. Mm-hmm. I thought when, when you said cinnamon and nutmeg, I thought you were talking about favorite strippers from the past, but, uh, <laughs> uh, no, the uh, the they are foods or uh, or uh, food spices that contain this this flavor tannin coumarin, um, and I'm I am not a chemist, so I can't break down for you what exactly coumarin is, but uh, it's deer tongue and and sauces made using deer tongue uh, were very very common. Um, in pipe tobacco uh, for a long time, uh, Bing Crosby famously smoked uh, a a blend that was primarily cube cut burley and deer tongue, and that's really where uh, the Tarlers got the idea for Crooner. Um, they were contacted by a guy who uh, who said that he worked at a tobacco shop that Bing Crosby would come into sometimes and and he would have him mix up this blend and he basically shared with them the recipe. Huh. Um, so it so, so it's something different is it is it something that you use in a large amount or is it just a a very sparingly used kind of a condiment? It it's very sparing. Uh, a little bit of deer tongue goes goes a long way. Um, so there's only, there's only a couple of blends that we make, uh, that utilize it. Uh, we, we use deer tongue in crooner in gentleman caller and in Newmarket. Wow. So, uh, all right, well, I'm looking forward to trying it, uh, you know, and, and seeing, seeing what it's like now that I know that and can identify that it's there. Uh, well, I, you'll you'll pick up on it immediately. The aroma is is very distinct, um, and also it it is easily visible in in crooner or or new market or uh, gentleman caller as small little green flecks. Huh. Now, is it something that I should worry about it ghosting my pipe when I'm smoking it? I, w- I would definitely recommend first smoking uh, any blend that has that has deer tongue in it in a corncob pipe um, and seeing what you think of the flavor. There is... Uh, there is some residual flavor that may be left behind, but 
uh, unless you unless you run a whole bunch of that tobacco through a particular pipe, um, I, it's not something that, in my experience, I've ever found a difficult time getting getting smoked out in one or two smokes of something else. So, like anything else, when I smoke something that's not a Virginia Perique or a Virginia that I'm used to, I'll grab my Missouri Meerschaum off the off the shelf or off the counter here and uh, fire it up and try it in that one. And then, and then after you kind of have a chance to see what it what it tastes like and everything, um, and and maybe try a couple of other blends through that Missouri Meerschaum pipe, um, you might get an idea of of how much flavor you notice coming through from the deer tongue, and and <laughs> then you might feel comfortable putting it through a briar. Yeah. Uh, let's go on to another question that I've got for you because it's also coming up, uh, by suggestion, uh, Bayou morning flake and then Bayou morning one's a flake. One is not, but I understand they're different. You want to, you want to let us in behind the curtain and tell us the secrets to these two and what the differences might be between them or what we might perceive the differences are. Sure. Um, well, they are they are the exact same recipe in terms of tobacco. Um, they both utilize twenty five percent perique. Um, they both contain stoved red Virginias, uh, as well as unstoved red Virginia and bright Virginia. Um, they follow the exact same schematic, the exact same recipe. The difference uh, in these two blends is really um, the way that they are presented. Uh, and so, in Bayou Morning, obviously you've got you've got ribbon cut uh, tobaccos, and and they're just presented as a loose blend. Uh, to me, Bayou Morning. Uh, has sort of a uh, the the Virginias make more of a of an impression. Um, they are uh, fruitier um, and and uh, you get a lot more of the you get a lot more of the sweetness of the bright Virginia and uh, you get a lot more of the the sort of deeper sort of woody tones and, and interesting sort of uh, earth and hay tones and toasted notes and peanut notes and things like this from the the red Virginia and it's all bolstered with a backbone of of Perique but but the body and the the breadth of the blend really is about the Virginias whereas with the the flake um, you know, Perique has a lot of moisture in it, um, and it uh, it makes up a like I say a quarter of this blend. And so when we when we blend it up in in strips of of leaf uh, with with Perique strewn throughout, and we're still using uh, cut cut Perique. Um, along with strips of of the Virginias, when we press that, the juices of the perique are extruded and and distributed through the whole blend, um, and so 
you notice with you notice with Bayou Morning, uh, there is a lot of flavor. I mean, a, a lot of color variation rather when you look at the blend. Whereas with Bayou Morning Flake, it's much darker, uh, and that's that's really that's really the the juices of the Perique having having thoroughly penetrated all of all of the other leaf that's involved in that blend and uh and the perique presence i think is the the real structure and and body of the flake version where the virginias and the sweetness of the virginias kind of take a back seat and perique really takes takes center stage so that to me is the difference between the two i find uh bayou morning flake to be much more um loamy and mushroomy and and sort of you know the the cool weird melange of flavors that you get from perique uh ranging from from stewed fruit on to uh mushroom and earth and uh chili peppers and these kinds of things whereas bayou morning the the ribbon mixture I, it reminds me more of like a a big red wine um, I don't know that that was pretty sexy talk when you started talking about the Perique juices penetrating and I just kind of got lost there. So <laughs> I, I, I'm sold. <laughs> Fair enough. Whatever you want. I'm, I'm all yours. I mean, I'm, I'm all ready to try it. So, uh, but yeah, so it, it is interesting to hear you to, to hear you say that the, you know, in the pressing, the juices from the Perique come out and darken everything. And, and again, we're looking at a different product but it's the same. It starts off the same. Uh, mm -hmm. The fascinating thing for me is as I turn over the tins that I've got here, which if you really want to torture a tobacconist like this, uh, Jeremy had no idea that I was buying the tobacco because I bought it like weeks ago. And, you know, he has no idea which cans I got or anything. And I'm sitting here looking at it. But uh, Bayou Morning was made on the 13th of the month. And Bayou Morning Flake was made on the twentieth of the month, so I'm guessing it takes you about seven days to press the flakes and cut them and and can them. Uh, yeah, that's that's correct. <laughs> Although they're made they're made at different times, uh, they're made from different different sources of tobacco. Uh, we have we have cut versions of our tobacco blends that we use for blending ribbon mixtures, and then we have. Uh, boxes of, of stripped leaf that we're using for blending for pressing, so it's only it's only happenstance that they were made seven days apart. But yeah, we do oh. we do press for seven days in the twelve ton. All right. Well, now you brought that you you brought up the difference in the cut. How does the different cut, in your opinion, affect the way a pipe a pipe tobacco smokes? Does a you know a wider cut versus a smaller, thinner cut, or whatever the whatever the varied cuts are? Mm -hmm. Actually, um, I find that uh, with when you have a cut that is that is very wide and very chunky. Um, I find that it's actually uh, a little difficult to get lit a lot of times, and I, I found myself always, you know, sort of tearing it up finer. Uh, I I find that I'm I you know have no luck at all really with uh, folding stuff methods with with flakes or with coins. Um, 
you know, I've I have I have used techniques to to do those sorts of things. I've taught people, you know, the basic the basic idea. But for me personally, I get the most flavor out of uh, thoroughly rubbing out a a flake or a coin um, and kind of separating out the finer pieces, yep. leaving the the chunkier pieces. Uh, off to one side and and breaking those up a little more um, before I just trickle those into my pipe and then pack the uh, the finer pieces in on top and I try and pack those in a little more densely um, so, so it all but uh... with 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 finer pieces I find that uh, you can actually pack the pipe more uh, more firmly and uh, get a lot more flavor extraction um, than I've ever found with a really thick, chunky cut and leaving it uh, more loosely packed. So the cut size does matter. It changes it. And again, when, you know, if if Jeremy's style doesn't work for you, try your own and see how it works for you. Um, I know of some people that keep that that grab some of the real tiny stuff out of the bottom of the tin and put it on top of the blend kind of and kind of use that as kindling to get the top of the bowl going sure sure uh, um and then a shag cut can really jam up a bowl pretty big too <laughs> if you pack it too tight yeah that's true uh you know a shag cut can uh can help with building cake um because because you can pack it a little more densely and uh and it will still it will still burn really easily and evenly um but if you ever if you ever have problems with a finer cut uh you know getting it to to you know if you feel like it's smoking too quickly you can always just pack it more tightly all right, let's skip the, let's skip over the rest of the tobacco stuff except for you know, except to say that obviously uh I'm a fan of the uh of the small batch red flakes. So uh, uh do me a favor and give me a wink before the next batch is ready to run. Um Okay. Yeah, I'm not asking for anything special, just a little wink, just, you know, a half second sure. before. Uh you're a foodie you you're a you're a foodie slash super taster and uh there's another podcast out there with uh, two of my favorite little people i mean two of my favorite friends in the world that do that that do uh, food and drink pairings with uh with tobaccos i thought maybe with you being a foodie um and me not being a foodie my idea of food is it's on a plate and I eat it, and if I like it, it's good. If I don't like it, I eat it, and I and I I'm fine. Uh, but with you being a foodie, if we just stuck to some basic kind of meals, maybe like a a, a basic steak dinner or a basic uh, you know burger kind of well, burgers are complicated because of all the different sauces. Uh, but maybe a steak, a chicken, and a fish dinner. If you have some tobacco styles, or you know, a style, and then maybe a specific blend that would work well with those, with each one of those. Um, well, I think that I think that there are a lot of different options um, with with uh, tobaccos that would go with any of those particular things. I think the thing that would really be uh, 
tantamount to me would be the the body of the tobacco pairing with whatever it is that that you've chosen to eat uh, after a steak dinner. I I tend to think of something uh, big and and bold, something that's going to be able to stand up to the lingering aftertaste of. Uh, of the steak, especially of the, the char, the singe, you know? Um, so something that would occur to me would actually be, uh, Bayou morning. Um, I just happen to have a tin here. (laughs) (laughs) You do. Yeah. Another, another might be, uh, Sinead's cake. Um, those are both big, bold, you know, after, after dinner kind of tobaccos, uh, Five o'clock shadow would be another one. A little dark fired Kentucky in there that would probably play really nicely with some of the some of the lingering flavors of creosote from the the char on the steak. Uh, for fish, um, that's sort of an interesting one. I would think I would think maybe something like Oriental silk or something a little a little more subtle because um, you don't want to. In a, in a pairing, you don't want to overpower uh, the food that you're pairing with, um, and you want to you want to kind of mingle those flavors, not not cover them up. And so, yeah, Oriental Silk yeah. would probably be a really nice pairing, actually, with with uh, fish and maybe some white wine. Um, and then for chicken, who cares? It tastes like chicken. Chicken is interesting. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I've ever thought about tobacco specifically with uh, with a chicken dish in mind. And, and I guess it's probably because yeah, if, if you just do if you're just doing baked or boiled chicken or something like that, that's that's pretty much a boring. I don't know. You know, vanilla taste of of meat flavors. Um, it, it, it's just kind of bland, so I guess it would matter with what kind of seasoning or what kind of sauce you're putting on the chicken. That's fair. You know, uh, actually, something that does occur to me that would be sort of sort of nice, uh, particularly with like a barbecue chicken, for example, would be afternoon delight. Um, now wait a second, wait there, a second, wait a second. Time out. We mentioned barbecue, and I was going to go there because. Uh, because my yeah it's international pipe smoking day week and and we love everybody and my friends john david and Bo have this long-running thing about barbecue and pairings with tobaccos um when you talk about a barbecued chicken are you talking about a a, a carolina style a, you know a vinegar based a mustard base or a ketchup based sauce um really any any of the above uh probably now see i I really like the the vinegar type uh, sauce with just you know vinegar and chilies and a little salt, um, but I also really appreciate the the South Carolina uh, mustard style, and I've found that I actually when I make my own barbecue sauce I tend to mix the two styles. Uh, there you and, go. And. Uh, that's that's a really nice flavor profile for me, um, but the biggest important thing for me with with barbecue is I want to be able to taste a lot of the a lot of the smoke, 
um, and I want to be able to to taste a hint of a hint of sweetness and a lot of savory tones married with that smoke. Um, and Afternoon Delight has a touch of smokiness uh, as well as as a touch of uh, maple syrup kind of sweetness to it. Uh, but it's a it's a very very it's a very complex uh, light English crossover blend. Um, so mildly aromatic, um, but but uh, a little dark fired Kentucky and a little bit of Latakia, and uh, I think that those things would play really nicely with with a barbecue chicken meal. So it's a whole wonderful bouquet of flavors. It is. There we go. Jeremy, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. And uh, for those of you listening now, you can go back to uh, August 12th of 2015, and we'll see what Jeremy, we'll see how different his answers are. I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> what is All your right. favorite pipe? My favorite pipe. At the moment, my favorite pipe is a uh, former uh, smooth billiard with a silver army mount. Ooh. Um, it is really nice and light, uh, slender proportions, and uh, it smokes Virginia's like a dream. And uh, this is going to suck for you, but you got to pick one. Um, what is your favorite tobacco? My favorite tobacco. Now, oh man! Now I could let you. I could let you cheat and just name a varietal or or an actual leaf instead of a finished sure. blend. My hands down, my favorite leaf type is is flu cured Virginia type, um, and in particular reds. And what is your favorite drink? My favorite drink is bourbon. Uh, I absolutely love uh all all kinds of bourbon uh i don't really do mixed drinks very often occasionally uh an old-fashioned or a manhattan but really uh just just bourbon neat is the way to go for me uh, my everyday is either elijah craig 12 year um or uh actually old granddad bonded <laughs> that, that sounds like something that uh that one of our granddads might have bought as his regular drink yeah i i really like it i think that old granddad the the bonded edition specifically is really underrated um it's it's got everything that i want out of a bourbon and it doesn't carry a big a big mean price tag I, it may be my favorite now. Um, when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? Um, probably music more than anything else. Uh, I do. I do switch between these three. So, but usually I have a drive home, uh, and so that's that's really my first opportunity to relax after leaving work every day. And so I listen to music. 
And finally, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory that might have happened in the last, I don't know, three and a half years that we, well, we didn't talk about any of your memories. So anything, anything come to mind? A favorite pipe smoking memory. Well, it's, I suppose it's tough for me because so much of my day <laughs> is smoking a pipe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so every memory you've had in the last three and a half years is pipe smoking related. Right. Um, yeah, no, unfortunately nothing, nothing springing to mind. Uh, probably I'll go with, I'll go with the discovery of the, the red varietal that we ended up using for Carolina red flake. Okay. I'll that let, was, I'll let you pass with that. That was pretty special. That was a lot of fun when I, when I first tasted that leaf and I was just like, all right, well, this is not the this is not the selection that I need to make to match our, our regular production, uh, red Virginia, but this is too special not to do something with. <laughs> well, I'll have to agree. And, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on and, and hanging out with me for the entire show. And, uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you. I had a, I had a blast. This is always fun. And we'll be back in just a minute. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog and the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. This is Internet Radio. And we are back. I want to, you know, I'm thinking about Jeremy. You know, he's got the tattoos and the beard and the piercings and the job title. I think when I grow up, I want to be him. Just the just the coolest guy and really down to earth. So, Jeremy, thanks again for uh, for hanging out with us for music. We are going back to one of the classics of the Pipes Magazine radio show. It's a guy named Ray Keynes. K-I-K-A-I-N-Z, who had a band called the Stereocratic Party. And you may remember the song is called I Smoke a Pipe. It's one of my favorites that we've played on the show. And, well, we'll play it. I think this will be the third or fourth time we've had it on the show. So here it is. Sherlock Holmes I smoke a pipe When I'm on the road It makes me feel like I'm right at home Until my girl Starts to bitch and moan So I'll just have to smoke And talk all alone I think I'll even take The hook off the phone SJ Natchez and myself 
Seem to smoke a pipe. I smoke a pipe. find more of the stereocratic party on broadjam.com b-r-o-a-d-jam.com or search for ray r-a-y canes k-a-i-n-z apparently he wrote this song in 2004 read the mail read the mail read the mail if you want to get me a present for International Pipe Smoking Day, it's simple. Just go to iTunes and leave a rating or a review there, just like uh, Bourbon.Familia did. And Bourbon wrote, I always like to listen to this podcast when I'm out driving, sitting at home with a pipe, or anytime. I always learn something new. The interviews are great. The style always brings out the natural ease in people, and it just makes you feel like you're sitting with a pipe at a table with them, enjoying a bowl and a drink. Thank you for the work you do. You are very welcome, and I'm glad you I'm glad you like the casual style because, boy, I'd hate to do formal interviews. That, that'd be like work or something. A couple of messages that I've gotten over the past week, the weeks that I saved for this. Uh, Mark Irwin uh, says, hey, Brian, I'm so enjoying all the archived and recent uh, recent and new shows now that I'm retired and can really stop and absorb them. I'm a big oral history buff from college days and the Peterson book and think and think your interviews of the luminaries of our hobby are an absolutely unique and invaluable document to the hobby. 
would you would that your dad granddad and great granddad had done weekly shows back to the beginning of radio think who we'd have you know and that made me think about also you know wouldn't it be wouldn't it be just a you know amazing to go again go back to those old tobacconists in the 20s and 30s or even better go sit with uh, c.s lewis and tolkien and have a pipe with them or sit at the next table and just listen in uh David writes, thank you, Mr. Levine. One more request. Would it be possible on a future podcast your thoughts on smoking the same briar pipe multiple times in one day? Is it okay to do or not uh, or not recommended? I look forward to your input. I believe I did that about, uh, well, fairly early on. So it was a pipe parts segment. And to sum it up, uh, it was fine. The pipe got a little bitter towards the end of the day, and I had to make sure, you know, and in between pipes, I had to give it a good brushing with a pipe cleaner. Um, but what I what I really found out was kind of just my personally, I got kind of bored with the pipe by the end of the day. But again, when I'm traveling, I will take one pipe and a tin of tobacco and some pipe cleaners with me for the day. And I'll smoke that pipe, you know, three or four times during the day. I may not get through a full bowl of it, uh, you know, maybe maybe twice. But anyway, uh, just my thoughts. And again, you'll have to go back and dig around. I'm sorry, I couldn't find it. Uh, and then Mike McLaughlin writes, uh, side note, I've been picking up a number of pipes, some new in estates. I've been trying to determine which ones on uh, which one I like smoking the best. I came across the Peterson 317. Initially, it was similar than uh, smaller than ex expected. However, I've really enjoyed smoking it. Any suggestions for pipes with similar bowl size and pleasure smoking? Uh, and uh, this was the uh, this was the final thread of a uh, you know of a enjoying the show. And uh, anyway, the uh, the the comment here that he made about the similar bowl size, I kind of had to I let him know that. Yeah, uh, when you find a pipe that works for you, uh, it may be that actual pipe, it may be that piece of wood, but finding a shape that is really comfortable for you, that kind of narrows down what you're doing. So maybe look at a different finish. You know, for example, a Peterson Donegal with a, you know that would be rusticated or different color. Uh, stay within that same manufacturer and see if you can get a different finish, same shape, same size, and see what the experience is. Uh, Mike also wrote uh, that uh, he has a daughter that is also type 1 and has been type 1 for five years now. So that was just a, a good point to remind you. If you've got anything that you would like to donate for the JDRF auctions, uh, I'll start collecting them in March. So please email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, and we'll get those going over to Steve. I'll have to... I'll have you send them to me, and then, you know, maybe I'll play with them first. I don't know. Uh, but anything that you have, any anybody, any company, anything that you have that you want to donate, Steve will uh, help us out by getting it auctioned or put on his uh, pipestud.com website. Appreciate everything. Uh, you know, the more money we raise for JDRF, <clears throat> maybe the sooner we'll find a cure for, you know, for all these uh, type 1 diabetics that are having to do shots all the time and, Test their blood sugars. All right. Uh, IPSD. Well, not so much a rant, not so much a rave, but more of a comment coming up next.
This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. I just want to take this moment to remind you to celebrate the brotherhood of, uh, of us pipe smokers or the sisterhood. Uh, welcome any other pipe smoker that you know or anybody that you see smoking a pipe. That's what International Pipe Smoking Day is about, is about celebrating us as a group of people that all enjoy the fine tobaccos in our pipes. It doesn't matter what kind of tobacco it is, doesn't matter what kind of pipe it is. The uh, brotherhood of the uh, of pipe smoking is, you know, we need to spread the word. So I'd like to remind you all to get outside when you can, smoke in public places where you can so that people can see a pipe smoker, share on social media wherever you can your pipe smoking adventures, don't be shy about it. Uh, just get out there and, and show it and be part of the international brotherhood of pipe smokers. Uh, this group of people that we call, you know, pipe smokers for 24, 25 years now has been a uh, important part of my life. And, uh, you know, it's because of the people in it and the people that I've met, the people that I've gotten to know and the, you know, the, the people that I've worked with. Uh, and it's not often in a uh, in a community where you have, uh, you know, uh, competing or uh co uh, uh, i don't want to say competing but uh, you have people podcasting and we're all you know we all help each other out it's the same thing on the on the industry side you know the industry people help each other out most times uh tobacconists most of them are willing to work with the tobacconist in the area to help protect the protect their interests and make sure that tobacco is available for as long as possible uh yeah, it's just a, it's a great group of people and just celebrate the brotherhood and welcome more people in. There you go. Comments or questions, you can post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com or email me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com. Uh, next week, I'll give you a trip report on uh, piping, uh, smoking my pipe out on the Caribbean and uh, let you know what I saw and, and did. Uh you can follow me on Facebook while you're there. You can also like the Pipes Magazine radio show page on Facebook. And again, iTunes ratings are in reviews. Greatly appreciated. Uh, once again, thank you to Jeremy for coming on and joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And Bomba until next time. Just 
Sing a song and think about sunny weather. Maybe next time you could call me like sexy or like mysterious. You're not mysterious. Well, I can be. 